Hey everybody, welcome to Money's No Object. I'm your host, Dylan Howell. This is episode number 420 of our YouTube channel and podcast, and I cannot be more excited to continue sharing with you guys personal finance topics that I think can be useful for you in your long-term financial journey. Today, we are going to be talking about a scary word, right? Uh, a word that um, you don't get to see put into application very often, uh, but a word that is being thrown, thrown around nowadays by some bears in the economic world um, and we're going to talk about what it is because, you know, I tell you Fridays are fundamental Fridays. I try to talk about things that are fundamental to uh, financial markets, economies, whatever else, right? And so we're going to talk about this one scary word. And I'm just going to hold you here with a cliffhanger for just a second um, and, um, you know, let you guess what this word uh, may be. But um, just stick around for a discussion of this scary word uh, and the impacts that it could have on your life. Uh, so stick around for a discussion of all that and more in today's episode. Before we get started, though, if you could go down below, hit the big red subscribe button, like this video, leave me any feedback in the comments down below, and I'll be sure to respond to anything you leave down there. If you're listening on Apple or Spotify podcast, be sure to subscribe and leave me a review on either one of those platforms. Follow me on social media at MNO with Dylan. And that's really good supplemental materials to all the things I'm putting out in these long form episodes on YouTube and the podcast every single day. Then if you need somebody to help you to build a financial plan and keep you accountable to that plan over the long term, then I can do that. Just DM me on any of the major social media sites and tell me that you are interested in financial coaching sessions. And you and I can begin working together, pushing towards your long-term financial goals and ultimately pushing you on towards long-term financial freedom, which is what I hope for every single individual who's watching or listening to this show on a day-to-day -day basis. So did you guess the word? Do you know what the word is? The word is stagflation. And some of you may be like, don't you mean inflation? No, not inflation, stagflation. Don't you mean stagnation? No, stagflation, okay? Now, what is stagflation, okay? Stagflation is characterized by slow economic growth and relatively high unemployment or economic stagnation, uh, which is at the same time accompanied by rising prices, which would be inflation, right? So that's why you see inflation, Right? So you see the inflation part um, and then the slow economic growth being stagnation. So it's stagnation and inflation put together, stagflation. Okay? Now this can be alternatively defined as a period of inflation combined with uh, a decline in the GDP. Right? So basically, um, you know, heading towards a recession, but you also have a high inflation. Now, this may seem kind of weird for those of you who know anything about you know, economics, financial markets. You know, stagflation is... A weird thing and it doesn't occur super often right uh, the term stagflation was first used uh, back in the 60s during a time of economic stress in the uk when talking about inflation on one side and stagnation on the other one politician called it uh, a stagnation situation it was later used again to describe the recessionary period in the 1970s following the oil crisis when the U.S. underwent a recession that saw five quarters of negative GDP growth. Inflation doubled in 1973 and hit double digits in 74. Uh, unemployment hit 9% uh, by May 1975. So stagflation led to the emergence of what's known now as the misery index, right? And boy, does that not sound like any fun at all. And it's not, right? Uh, the misery index tracks uh, something that, you know, is very, you know, directly related to stagflation, right? Uh, so the misery index is meant to measure the degree of economic distress felt by everyday people uh, due to the risk or actual joblessness combined with uh, an increased cost of living, right? Because obviously, uh, if unemployment's high and inflation's high, 
Uh, that's not good for the economy at all, right? Because you have people who are struggling to find jobs to make money. Uh, and even if you did make money, then the value of your money is being uh, decimated by inflation, right? So the misery index, if uh, inflation is high and unemployment is high, is going to point towards stagflation, okay? Uh, this index is a simple sum of the inflation rate and the unemployment rate, and it serves as a tool to show us just how badly people are feeling uh, when stagflation hits the economy. Now, stagflation was long believed to be impossible because the economic theories that dominated academic and, po and uh, policy circles ruled it out uh, of their models by construction. In particular, there's this idea of the Phillips curve, right? Phillips curve is very, very common uh, in economics, especially if you're learning, learning what's called Keynesian economics, right? Um, and this is this trade-off between unemployment and inflation. Um, and ultimately, this trade-off does not hold if stagflation is going to occur. Now, as a result of the Great Depression and the ascendance of Keynesian economics in the 20th century, economists became preoccupied with the dangers of deflation and argued that most policies uh, are designed with lower inflation uh, tend to make it tougher for the unemployed uh, and policies designed to ease unemployment raise inflation, right? Um, which tend to be true, right? If you're trying to, uh, you know, decrease unemployment, right, then what you're going to do is stimulate the economy in some way or incentivize uh, corporations uh, to, you know, hire people or incentivize people to go to work, right? And in doing so, it's going to increase the rate of productivity, typically increase the rate of economic growth, which will end up uh, pushing towards inflation in many cases. Now, the advent of stagflation across the developed world in the mid-20th century showed that this was not necessarily the case. Now, as a result, stagflation is a great example of how real-world economic data can sometimes uh, run roughshod over uh, widely accepted economic theories and uh, policy prescriptions, right? Sometimes the things that are theoretically true just don't match up with the data, and stagflation is one place in which this is the case. Now, as a rule, inflation persists as a general condition, uh, even during periods of slow or negative economic growth, uh, which tends to be the case, right? Inflation uh, is happening almost all the time, especially in the major developed nations. In the past 50 years, every declared recession in the United States has seen a continuous year-over-year -year rise in the CPI, right, in the consumer price index level. Uh, the sole partial exception to this is the lowest point of the 2008 financial crisis. And even then, the price decline was confined to energy prices, while overall consumer prices other than energy continued to rise, right? So regardless of if the economy is very healthy or not, uh, you are going to see some type of sustained inflation over long periods of time. So what that means is, is that at times, you're going to see inflation and you are going to see um, negative economic consequences such as high unemployment. Now, there are many theories surrounding stagflation, how it comes about, um, and how you can, you know, just, you know, put it in a box, but it's very, very difficult to put it in a box. Uh, because the historical onset of stagflation represents the demise of the dominant economic theories of the time, economists since uh, then have put forth several arguments as to how stagflation occurs or how to redefine the terms of existing theories to explain it, right? Of course, everybody, uh, whoever believes in a theory and that theory gets debunked wants to go out and uh, explain how something may fit into that theory. 
Now, one theory states that stagflation is caused when a sudden increase in the cost of oil reduces an economy's uh, productive capacity. In October 1973, the uh, Organization of Petroleum Exporting Countries, OPEC, right, uh, issued an embargo against Western countries. This caused the global price of oil to rise dramatically, therefore increasing the cost of goods and contributing to a rise in unemployment. Because transportation costs rose, producing products and getting them to shelves became more expensive, and prices rose even as people were laid off. Critics of this theory point out that sudden oil price shocks like those of the 1970s did not occur in connection with any of the simultaneous periods of inflation and recession that have occurred since then. And I would tend to agree, right? Um, the idea of stagflation occurring just because of oil uh, may be quite short-sighted, okay? Now, there are other theories, right? Another theory is that the confluence of stagnation and inflation are the results of poorly made economic policy, which this may hold some water. Now, harsh regulation of markets, goods, and labor in an otherwise inflationary environment are cited as a possible cause of stagflation. Some point to former President Richard Nixon's policies, which may have led to the recession of 1970, a possible precursor to the next period of stagflation. Nixon put tariffs on imports and froze wages and prices for 90 days to prevent prices from rising. Uh, the sudden economic shock of oil shortages and rapid acceleration of prices uh, once the controls were relaxed led to economic chaos. So basically, uh, regulations being put into place um, can have an impact and throw economic theories um, out the window and have negative impacts such as stagflation. Now, while appealing, like the previous theory, uh, this is an ad hoc explanation of the stagflation of the, the 1970s, uh, which does not explain the simultaneous rise in prices and unemployment that has accompanied subsequent recessions up to the present. Now, some also argue, uh, they make the inflation argument towards stagflation, right? And uh, they talk about the gold standard because, if you didn't know this, right, um, used to be a dollar was backed by a certain amount of gold, right? There was a, it had to be a certain amount of reserve gold for every dollar that was out there uh, in the economy. But that is no longer true, right? Uh, we have what's called a fiat currency, basically meaning our currency is backed by nothing except for the full faith and credit of the United States government. Okay, so uh, a theory like a theory uh, regarding the gold standard uh, may point to monetary factors that play a role in stagflation, right? So Nixon removed uh, the last indirect vestiges of the gold standard and brought down the Bretton Woods system of international finance. Uh, this removed commodity backing for the currency and put the US dollar and most other world currencies on a fiat basis ever since then, ending most practical constraints on monetary expansion and currency devaluation, right? Um, so ultimately what this did is this made it easier uh, to inflate a currency without that inflation having to do uh, with just strict economic growth. Now this can make a lot of sense, right? Because um, if, you know, unemployment is, you know, based on, you know, negative economic, like more unemployment based on negative uh, economic consequences, right? Then, you know, you may expect if you're on the gold standard, you may expect um, that if you can't add any currency to um, the already flowing currency that's out there, if you can't uh, inflate the currency, you can't uh, devalue the currency, then the only thing that's going to drive inflation upward is going to be growth, right? So when you have high unemployment, uh, then you're not going to have that inflation that's high as well. But uh, if you 
are not on the gold standard, if you have this fiat basis, then you can have continuous inflation and uh, you can have some of those negative things uh, that occurred that drive unemployment upward. Now, proponents of monetary explanations of stagflation point to the ending of the gold standard and the countervailing historical record of extended periods of simultaneously decreasing prices and low unemployment under strong commodity-backed currency systems. This would suggest that under an unbacked fiat monetary system uh, in place since the 1970s, we should expect to see inflation persist during periods of economic stagnation, uh, as has been the case. Other economists, even before the 1970s, criticized the idea of a stable relationship between inflation and unemployment on the grounds of consumer and producer expectations about the rate of inflation. Under these theories, uh, people simply adjust their economic behavior to rising price levels, uh, either in reaction to or in expectation of monetary policy changes. As a result, uh, prices rise throughout the economy in response to expansionary monetary policy without any corresponding decrease in unemployment, uh, and unemployment rates can rise or fall based on real economic shocks to the economy. And that's, I, I think, one of the big points here uh, with some of these monetary uh, explanations is that the um, amount of money in the economy and uh, the ability to inflate uh, the currency and to devalue the currency over time um, it can be done quite quickly and with some very, um, you know, just simple decisions that are made by like the Federal Reserve, right? Uh, but when it comes to unemployment, unemployment is going to take some time uh, to show up in an economy, right? And it's going to take some time. Um, and the big increases in unemployment are going to be uh, corresponding to some real, very tangible uh, major economic shocks to the economy. Now, this implies that attempts to stimulate the economy uh, during the recession uh, could simply inflate prices while having little effect on promoting real economic growth, uh, which I think is is very, very true, right? Um, attempts to stimulate the economy during recessions, all that is doing, so let's talk about the coronavirus, right? Coronavirus, what happens? Uh, you see that everybody has to stay home, and so the Fed becomes very accommodative, becomes very uh, easy in their policy. So uh, they start repurchasing all these bonds. They pump a bunch of money into the economy. They give out stimulus checks. They do all these things, right, um, to be accommodative, right? Well, what's that going to do? That's going to create inflation, right? Uh, so that is a real thing that will create uh, inflation, so that inflates prices, but it has little effect on promoting real economic growth, right? Um, has there been any real economic growth? Now, people will tout the growth of GDP. Well, we basically had GDP that was stagnant or, you know, we weren't growing at all. Obviously, we went into a, a short recession due to the coronavirus pandemic. That, but that was because people were staying at home, not because we had some real booming growth of the economy, right? Um, it, we had some... Uh, you know, losses because nobody was working, right? And um, you could not do specific things, but not because there was some real growth. Uh, do we see the inflation that we have today? The inflation that we have today um, due to, you could argue, supply pressures, uh, but also very much due to uh, the monetary policy decisions of the Federal Reserve. Now, urbanist and author Jane Jacobs saw the disagreements between economists on why the stagflation of the 1970s occurred in the first place as a symptom of misplacing their scholarly focus on the nation uh, as the primary economic engine as opposed to the city 
Uh, she believed that to avoid the phenomenon of stagflation, a country needed to provide an incentive to develop import-replacing cities, that is, uh, cities that balance import with production. This idea, essentially diversifying the economies of cities, uh, was critiqued for its lack of scholarship by some, uh, but held weight with others, right? So it's just another theory, another idea as to why stagflation may occur. Now, what are some special considerations? Well, the de facto consensus on stagflation among most economists and policymakers has been to essentially redefine uh, what they mean by the term inflation in the modern era of modern currency and financial systems. Uh, persistently rising price levels and falling purchasing power of money, i.e. inflation, are assumed as a basic background normal condition in the economy, which occurs both during periods of economic expansion and during recessions. Uh, economists and policymakers generally assume that prices will rise and largely focus on accelerating and decelerating inflation rather than on inflation itself. The dramatic episodes of stagflation in the 1970s uh, may be a historical footnote today, uh, but since then, simultaneous economic stagnation and rising price levels, in a sense, make up the new normal uh, during economic downturns, right? Uh, so stagflation, it, it really all depends on your definition, and it depends on... Um, you know, just how bad uh, do things have to get to say that we are actually in a period of stagflation. Now, what causes it? Well, stagflation is characterized by slow economic growth and relatively high unemployment or economic stagnation, which is at the same time accompanied by rising prices. Generally, stagflation occurs when the money supply is expanding while supply is being constrained. What do you see right now, right? What have we seen during the coronavirus pandemic? supply of money is expanding, but we're seeing supply side constraints, right? So if you wonder why I'm throwing this word out there, why I'm teaching you about this word, why this may be interesting at all, that's why, right? Because we are potentially living in a stagflationary, um, you know, world today. And I, I was listening to a guy on CNBC trying to make the case as to we're already in it, right? We just uh, don't quite see it yet. Um, now, the question really is, why is it bad, right? Because you may be hearing all this economic jargon, hearing inflation, unemployment, all why is this bad? Why is this not a good thing? Well, stagflation is a contradiction as slow economic growth would likely lead to an increase in unemployment, but should not result in raising prices, right? Typically when uh, you see slow economic growth, then you're also going to see prices remain uh, relatively low because otherwise people couldn't pay for things as prices rose. Now, this is why this phenomenon is considered bad, right? An increase in the unemployment level results in a decrease in consumer spending power. And so if you decrease the consumer spending power and decrease the purchasing power of every consumer dollar that they have to spend, uh, then there's a problem, right? If you tack on runaway inflation to decreases in consumer spending power, that means that what money consumers do have is losing value as time goes by. There's less money to spend and the value of money is in decline, right? So of course, that is a huge issue. Um, and of course, we don't want to live in that type of economy. You don't want to live in an economy uh, where things are very bad, right? Where um, there's a bunch of unemployment and things are moving slowly and prices are rising, right? That is not a fun place to live. Now, what is the cure for stagflation? Well, there's no definitive cure. The consensus among economists is that productivity has to be increased to the point where it would lead to higher growth 
uh, without additional inflation. And you talk about something that's difficult to reconcile, right? It's difficult to reconcile the idea of let's grow a lot, but let's not have additional inflation. Let's not add to the inflationary pressures, right? Because even right now, you know, getting an economy back up and running, you see a lot of uh, inflation. It's like, well, is that going to dampen the United States' ability to grow our economy? Because then, you know, the Fed steps in with interest rates and, um, you know, becomes more tight instead of easy with their policy. Uh, and that could be problematic. Now, um, this would allow then uh, for the tightening of monetary policy to rein in the inflation component of stagflation, uh, which is easier said than done. So the key to preventing stagflation uh, is to be extremely proactive in avoiding it, right? So that's kind of a contradiction, but it's very true, right? Um, it's very true that if you don't wanna have to deal with it, then make sure that you can keep your inflation in check and keep growing your economy over time without letting inflation uh, get out of control. Now, does stagflation mean that there's going to be um, some economic catastrophe tacked on the back of it? Not necessarily, right? All stagflation is telling us is um, it's, it's a descriptor, right? It, it's a descriptive word uh, about a specific set of circumstances in an economy. And that set of circumstances is not necessarily a positive one. And so people look at stagflation um, as this very, very negative thing. Now, um, this is all part, though, uh, of the idea of inflation in the first place. Uh, because for many years, right, and I mean, we saw this, we've seen this in the recent past. Uh, post the Great Recession, um, many people were looking going, I, I mean, the economy's growing you know, there has to be some inflation coming, right? Rates are staying low. There has to be some inflation coming. And guess what? The inflation just did not come, right? Uh, the inflation rates over the years from 2008 uh, to even 2020 were quite low uh, relative to what you would have expected them to be. So if you look at 2009 to 2020, you look at the annualized inflation rates, uh, you did not have a single inflation rate that got over 3.16%. Um, and then up until 2020, inflation was only running at 1.23%, right? So really nothing to get too caught up um, in, you know, trying to you know, work against, right? Why would you work against inflation that's not getting out of control? Uh, but there could for sure be situations where inflation does get out of control like it uh, is, you know, doing or threatening to do or whatever your, your thought on 7.5% annualized inflation is, uh, as of, you know, this past month, I mean, it's costly, right? It's costly to the consumer. It's costly to the economy for uh, prices to continue to rise in this type of way, right? Uh, the problem that comes is when you have these types of prices and you have growth that is slowing, right? And you have a Fed that's saying we're going to start raising interest rates to combat inflation, but they may be behind the curve. They may be too slow in trying to do so. So the Fed may induce some negative economic consequences and inflation may not be fully taken care of by their doing. So um, it's very, very interesting. It's very interesting to um, hear people's you know ideas on it. But uh, this is just another buzzword that gets thrown around, right? It's a buzzword just like inflation is a buzzword. It's a word that uh, gets a bunch of people riled up and a bunch of people scared and a bunch of people giving you all these theories as to why it's going to be the end of economic civil civilizations as we know them. Um, but at the same time, it doesn't have to be the end of the world. 
Um, obviously you don't want it to get out of control because then um, really the way to get it back in control is uh, to you know kind of tear things down for some period, right? Uh, they were talking about the 70s and the period of stagflation in the 70s. Well, uh, the inflation on the back end of that, um, it persisted for a very long time to the point where uh, you know, Paul Volcker, the Fed chair, had to uh, raise the federal funds rate to 20% just to get inflation uh, under wraps on the back end, right? And there were multiple uh, recessions in the 70s and 80s, um, and those were on the back of higher prices uh, and lower economic growth. And so uh, you see that uh, stagflation type thing occurring. And um, so nonetheless, I think this is a term that we should know. We should know what it means. We shouldn't just throw it around uh, not knowing what it means. There is a lot of ambiguity in this word. Um, the specific definition uh, is tough to come by, especially even when the you know definition of inflation is hard to come by, right? What are we uh, measuring in inflation? What are we measuring with stagflation? And what uh, is determinant of a stagflationary uh, environment that is bad enough uh, to warrant, you know, us talking about it or a misery index that's bad enough for us to warrant uh, talking about it. So I just think this is a interesting discussion and something that, um, you know, learning about, learning, um, you know, a new term, learning something that, um, you know, we have not seen an application in quite some time, at least in a, in a very robust way. Um, and thank God we haven't. Right. Uh, but we haven't seen this in a very real way in a long time. It's important to talk about, especially when uh, it keeps floating around all these different um, you know, financial news shows and all these types of things. It's important to talk about. And it's important to have a good idea of what you're talking about if you're going to throw this word around in your own economic conversation. So uh, hopefully this helps you in your understanding of just basic economics and uh, the impact that inflation can have. And ultimately, the fact that inflation is going to continue to persist one way or the other, whether it's low inflation or high inflation, we're going to continue seeing rises in prices. And the question is, uh, are we ever going to get to uh, some you know, high amount of inflation that is going to be coupled with slow economic growth and higher unemployment? Because that does not sound like uh, an ideal set of circumstances. And that definitely is uh, going to be categorized as stagflation by the masses. So thanks for watching this video. If you could go down below, hit the big red subscribe button, like this video, leave me any feedback in the comments down below, and I'll be sure to respond to anything you leave down there. If you're listening on Apple or Spotify podcast, be sure to subscribe and leave me a review on either one of those platforms. Follow me on social media at MNO with Dylan, and that's really good supplemental materials to all the things I'm putting out in these long form episodes on YouTube and the podcast every single day. Then if you need somebody to help you to build a financial plan and keep you accountable to that plan over the long term, then I can do that. Just DM me on any of the major social media sites and tell me that you are interested in financial coaching sessions. And you and I can begin working together, pushing towards your long-term financial goals and ultimately pushing you on towards long-term financial freedom, which is what I hope for every single individual who's watching or listening to this show on a day-to-day -day basis. So tune in Monday as I continue talking about personal finance topics that I think could be useful for you in your long-term financial journey. So thanks for tuning in to this episode of Money's No Object. I'm your host, Dylan Howell. God bless.